the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I will be your host today for the Nonprofit MBA Podcast. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit in the United States for small nonprofits. If you're interested in learning more about our line of credit program, please visit nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And, you know, if you, uh, I would just recommend to all of you to seriously consider getting a line of credit in place. It's just a smart idea. It's, it's, you know, we've been around for 11 years and I can't tell you how many times I get clients saying that they're happy they got their line of credit in place. Um, today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Dan Clark from Westfall Gold. Dan is the CEO of Westfall Gold, an Atlanta-based firm that has helped its clients raise more than $1.6 billion to fuel life transformations. Transformation. By leveraging the power of gathering, Westfall Gold has helped hundreds of organizations move their donors from casually engaged to deeply invested. Prior to his current role, Dan served Convoy of Hope, a longtime client of Westfall Gold. As vice president of partner development, um, uh, where he helped build a platform to engage philanthropic families, and he oversaw dozens of major fundraising events, many in collaboration with with Westfall Gold, that all cumulatively raised more than one hundred million for the organization. So, Dan, welcome to today's nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Nice to connect with you. So, you know, I am interested in this topic a lot today because not only am I hosting this podcast, but I am on a board of two nonprofits where we are actively trying to move uh, small donations to large donations. So not only will I be asking good questions for my listeners, but also for myself, honestly. And that's what makes these podcasts so, so much fun to me. I get to learn. So let's start off by telling me in that, you know, what is your experience with moving us uh, smaller donations to larger donations in a bigger picture type of view? Yeah, it really uh, is built around moving relationships from a transactional giving nature to a uh, relational uh, giving pattern. And it has everything to do with the effort you make, the investment you make in getting to know people, getting to know your partners, understanding their passions, their interests, uh, what makes them tick as givers, uh, why they are entrusting your organization with their hard-earned resources and responding in kind, really out of uh, sincere friendship, uh, sincere uh, generosity of spirit. Uh, You know, the two most important things you ever tell a donor or thank you and here's the impact you made. And you can do that in a very transactional way that leads to no relationship, or you can do that in a way that is very sincere and uh, leads people to uh, want to invest more, to trust you more. It inspires trust. And, you know, it's really, it's a, it's a friendship first mentality. I think that paves the way for you to go from, um, 
what might be token gifts to somebody who is deeply invested in your organization. So, I mean, a lot of our listeners here are smaller nonprofits. And so, you know, they probably have, uh, they might have a, a whole list of people who have given money, $15, $100, so on and so forth. And they all know that they need to migrate to bigger donations. What would be someone's, as an executive director, what would be their first step? I think having a, a screening done of your a donor file using uh, so many different wealth analytics tools out there. It's one of the services that our company provides before we even engage in our uh, event planning process with a client. We're doing a screening and then ultimately a manual audit. I think most people in the fundraising space know that the uh, wealth analytic tools out there are only 50 to 60% accurate. Uh, huh. So you can't, you know, you, you can't put all of your eggs in that basket, but we go a step further and we do a manual audit of, uh, you know, the top 750 or so donors in a, a client's file and try to help them uh, really understand who those people are. We can get the accuracy up to 80, 90%. And I think, uh, you know, by doing that manual audit, and I think if you are getting started, if you're stepping into a new role, you're being handed a file that's really not well developed yet. Um, that's one of the first things you need to be doing to try to understand who's in there and then maintaining those disciplines. Um, you know, we had, uh, at my, uh, my last station where I was in a, a development seat, we kind of had this driving thought around, uh, ongoing analytics. And it was, if Bill Gates gave us a hundred dollars, would we even know it? And would, would you, yeah. you think you would have? I mean, not I, knowing the name, let's say not knowing the name. Right. Well, yeah. And, and that's the point, obviously, if somebody, if somebody who had significant capacity uh, dropped even a, a token, you know, a hundred dollar gift uh, on us, would we even know that they had done that? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. We put systems in place and we had, uh, we really paired wealth analytics with some behavior um, analysis so that you were measuring both capacity to give and propensity to give. And if you can line those two things up with a, a high degree of accuracy, uh, that certainly improves your odds. But you know, there's a lot of things you can look at even just in giving behavior, giving history that will be indicators of uh, capacity even beyond or, you know, even propensity to give, because it's those two things. You have to have both. If it's just capacity, but no propensity, you're not going to get anywhere. If they have a propensity to give no capacity, well, they're not going to climb to the, the major donor ranks. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's, that's a great place to start is seeking out what, uh, you know, tools are available based on the resources you have to work with. Yeah. In fact, in this one, um, uh... I, I'm on the board for an $8 million, one $8 million nonprofit. And it's one of the first things I said to them because we wanted to move from small donations to large donations, larger donations. And I said, do we have any software? I just joined this board. And I said, do we have any software that allows me to see who are the, you know, who's capable of making large donations um, and I learned that from the podcasts that I had been doing. So, so is I would assume that it's not uncommon for a small nonprofit 
to go to your organization and say, give me a list of people that you think are worth us spending time to develop a relationship with versus them actually getting the software. I I mean, if you're a small nonprofit, I would imagine that getting a subscription-based software doesn't make a lot of sense because you just kind of, you want on a yearly basis to maybe know who the big uh, potential clients are. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think doing an annual review is fine, especially in your uh, early stages of the organization's growth. You're probably not going to have the systems to do that on a weekly or monthly basis, but even to do an annual review and hire that out, I, I think that's money well spent. And there's a variety of different services out there. Um, you know, you're typically paying per uh, per file. You know, it's quantity driven, the pricing, and so it's going to be commensurate to the size of your organization. Um, I don't think it's burdensome in most cases. The manual audit that we offer is a more expensive. Uh, proposition, but it's also increasing the accuracy of those scoring uh, systems up to 80 to 90 percent. And that's a that's a big deal in our case, because we're we are leveraging the power of gathering to help organizations engage audiences of uh, high net worth families. And when they are investing significant dollars in uh, hosting these events that we produce, we got to make sure we have the right people in the room, and you know, in, in similar uh, similar respect, if you are spending dollars traveling around to go do visits with uh, donors and prospects, you need to make sure that you are visiting the right home, the right office. You're engaging with the right people. You can you can spend a lot of money and get nowhere uh, yeah. rather quickly. From your experience, um, does is there an actual percentage that you kind of see that ends up that ends up coming out of once you run the software and you the tools that you have? It is it like is it ten percent of what's typically given to you is what comes back as people who are um, well, you know that are that are worth approaching to develop a stronger relationship with? Is it one you know? Is it 5%? Is it 1%? What, what's your experience? Or is there not a percentage that you can kind of say of the database coming back with these are the, the percentage of people you should call? Yeah, I don't know that I could answer that question. Mm. Um, what I can affirm though, and it's uh, it certainly affirms even the topic that you're, you're hosting today, is the need for organizations to be excelling in engaging with their major donors. Um, We've seen over the last 15 years or so, a a pretty remarkable shift. Uh, You had in up until about 06, 07, about 30%, and this is uh, a nationwide survey of nonprofits. You had about 30% of donors giving 70% of the revenue. Then you had the, the economic crash in 06, 07, and by the early 2010s, it had moved to an 80-20 split. And what we see now in all of the uh, data that's collected by like uh, you know, U.S. Trust, the Bank of America survey, you now have a 90-10 uh, split that 10% of donors are giving 90% of the dollars that nonprofits in the U.S. are receiving. And, 
you know, that just underscores, it, it really is a differentiator between those nonprofits that are going to thrive versus those that will just survive. Those that are thriving, they are excelling and engaging major donors. So, yeah, as I was giving my next question, and just to confirm, because I know you are saying this, but in my mo- my own head, I want to kind of make sure we emphasize this, that successful nonprofits that engage uh, the top 10% of their most wealthy constituents are the ones that tend to be more successful. Yes. Uh, it's so Absolutely. contrary. It's, that's amazing because like as, as an organization, as Financing Solutions, one of the things that we like is when the, <laughs> that's just from a financial standpoint, we like when, we, then when, when someone doesn't have just one donor. You know, we like them to have lots and lots of donors because if one right. falls off, then we're, we're okay. But you're actually saying, which I get, it, you're actually saying the reverse is better, more beneficial for more successful uh, and, and it makes sense uh, if you if you unpack it a little further. People who have significant resources, who have accumulated, uh, you know, remarkable wealth, they're not immune, but they are insulated to a great extent from the economic headwinds. And we go through these uh, periods where there's economic uh, struggles, and you see, you know, how the different classes are uh, impacted by those. Uh, trials and the people at the top uh, again they're they're largely insulated and so they are able to really carry the uh, they're they're able to carry the load in that period where maybe the uh, average Joe uh, has a little bit less to work with and they're if they are in deep relationship and this goes back to where I started. Uh, if they are in deep relationship with an organization, with the leadership, there's deep trust, they're bought in, um, you know, this is almost a part of their personal identity because it's so deeply connected to their values. Um, you know, they, they will step in, they will step up. And we're seeing that now, you know, 2021 was a, a record-breaking year for, for Westfall Gold. Uh, $285 million, uh, raised for our clients last year were we're already at 200 million this year, and we still have a couple dozen events to go um, in 2022. And you know, people are uh, shocked by that because they're they're seeing all the all the bad press, all the things happening, high inflation, stock market is tanking, everything else. But you know, the proof is is in the pudding, as they say. We've got uh, just record giving from this audience that is. Uh, stewarding their resources with uh, tremendous generosity. So uh, let's go back to your experience with someone who doesn't have a, you know, a, a nonprofit smaller, doesn't have, hasn't really started a formal process of developing relationships for big donors. Like, you know, they've gone out, they've, they're getting lots of donations smaller. Maybe they're running some fundraising events, they're running, you know, an aux- silent auction, you know, whatever, you know, a couple of different fundraising events. Um, and they say, you know, um, I believe what Dan's saying, uh, I, we need to migrate. Uh, the first step, what we're saying is go to your organization, have them come back to you with a report which says these are the ones you want to target. That's our first step. Is that fair? 
Yes. Yes. And then the second step, what would be the second step at that point? You get this report. It shows you the list of, you know, 50, 100, whatever it is, people who of of means that are worth donating, uh, going at going to a, a talk to. What's what what's your advice then as to the next step? Well, you know, getting getting the meeting is eighty percent of the uh, the battle, right? They would say that in sales, it would be true in fundraising. And fundraising as well, just getting uh, somebody to agree to meet with you over coffee or lunch, visit them at their home or their office, uh, you're 80% of the way there. And I think really it's uh, it's going with a curiosity. Uh, you're not there to sell. You are there to learn. You're there to listen, to get to know the people. It, it is a friendship first approach. And to not see people as just a, a checkbook or a wallet uh, to tap into, but they are people uh, who have a, you know, if they're already giving even a little bit, if they've accepted a meeting, it means they have a philanthropic sweet tooth. They want to do good and advance good in the world. And it, it may be that the mission of your organization is very close to their heart. It's a part of their story. You need to know those things. So it's it's really going in with a an open heart, open mind. You're there to listen. You're there to learn. You're not there to pitch. Uh, you're there to answer questions if they have them. Um, you know, storytell as uh, you know they indicate interest in different things. But I think that is really the first step, and then uh, it will naturally unfold from there. And I. I'm a big fan of asking permission, of making a pre-ask, if you will. Um, maybe after a first meeting, I've, I've sat, I've listened, I understand why they've given, I understand what their interest, their personal interest and personal connection to this cause is. And I'm thinking of uh, you know opportunities to further engage them in the story. Maybe there's an event upcoming, maybe there's a uh, you know, initiative that's about to launch or about to come to a conclusion. And there's going to be some great uh, facts to report on the back end and just say, hey, would it be all right if I called you in um, 60 days after this happens? We're going to have a great report. And I think you'll be really encouraged by the stories. Um, or, hey, we've got this, we got this thing coming uh, at the end of the year. And it, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, unpacking this big vision for the future. And I, Based on what I hear today, I think it's going to really resonate with you. Would it be okay if I came back, at, uh, you know, in this November and uh, shared those details with you? That that is making a, a pre-ask, and it's asking permission. And when you do that, you take away the element of surprise. They know why you're coming back, and if they say yes to a pre-ask, you're you're ninety percent of the way there. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan of doing that and it, it, it's providing them signals and, um, but it all starts just with relationship, friendship first. So let's say I'm going to ask you, like you go in this meeting, let's say it's a lunch, right? You're on there for, uh, you know, they met with you because they're a donor to your organization already. They, they, you know, if I'm on the other side of the, uh, the shoe, I know you're coming to ask me probably for additional money, which I'm willing to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, why not ask at that meeting for uh, for the money? 
I think it's premature because at that point, it's just your, your, uh, it's transactional giving, uh, you know, in, in 30 minutes, uh, I'm not going to know you, you're not going to know me in any deep, substantial way. Uh, I am, I'm inclined if we're talking about major gifts, it's one thing to ask somebody for $500. It's a different thing to ask them for $50,000. And you need to, much in the same way with a friend, you would say, hey, you don't have permission to go there with me yet. That's a real personal kind of topic. We need to build some more relationship before I feel comfortable going there. I think it's very similar in uh, a fundraising uh, type of conversation. People need to, people need to uh, have a level of trust in you uh, that you know them. And I, there are some people that you know, they're not looking for relationship. They just want to make a difference. Here's the money. But I don't know of any stories. I have not lived any stories of people that were year over year, major givers went on the journey and grew over time who only wanted to engage in a transaction. I just don't know those stories. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the only ones that I have any firsthand experience are with are people who wanted relationship. They wanted to know and to be known. And that's what relationship is. Have so you ever I, had a, sorry, go ahead. Finish what yeah, you thought. So I just think, I think it's jumping the gun. I think you're, um, you know, go ahead make that ask, but you'll probably get a $5,000 gift. Um, whereas if you would have played the long game and truly made an effort at building relationship, that $50,000 gift was probably only a year away. Have you ever like had a situation? Yeah, have you have you ever had a situation where the the person you were meeting with you didn't ask and by the end of the meeting they said how much you know, I'd like to make a donation. How much can I you know, not how much can I uh, offer, but I'd like to make this donation. Have you sure. have you had situation and you accept it? Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's when things are at their best, when you don't even have to ask, when you have, you've shown that you truly care, that you desire to know them, to understand what their, their passions are. Um, and I, I've, you know, I've sat in those meetings where, um, you know, people have said, uh, you know, how, how can I help? Or, you know, what, what do you need? And, um, you know, I've, been quick to just say, you know what, I, I don't know you well enough yet to, you know, to make an ask or to even offer a suggestion of what you should give to or at what amount. And frankly, people love that. They love when you will just admit that, yeah, you don't know them. Don't pretend, don't pretend to be their, their new best friend. Uh, pretend to, uh, don't pretend anything. Present yourself to be someone who has a genuine interest in learning who they are, what they care about. And uh, yeah, you know, but if you make the effort at uh, the relationship building and then they respond with, hey, Stephen, uh, love what love what you share. This feels really good. I enjoyed getting to know you. I'm looking forward to uh, you know building our friendship. I want to I want to send one hundred thousand uh, dollars to that campaign you talked about. Awesome. You know, that's, that's a win. That's, that is doing it the right way in my opinion. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember I was at, uh, so I went to Rutgers university and I love my school and, uh, although they don't love me back as much as I love them, that's what they say about <laughs> universities. Um, 
So I, I, I sat down with a fundraising person who was trying to raise money and you know, we're at lunch and I, and, he, and, you know, I offered him, you know, X amount of money. And, um, and then he came back and said, you know, uh, if you did, uh, this level, it would allow you to accomplish this, this, and this, uh, how do you, how do you feel about something like that? Like an upsell. Uh, at the right time, sir. You know, sure, at, at the right time. But you earn the right to have those conversations. I don't think we should ever uh, consider as fundraising professionals that we are entitled. We should be courageous. We should be willing and unafraid to ask. We should not be afraid of no. Um, I think courage is a just an intrinsic quality that is essential to being a high-performing uh, fundraiser. You have to have courage to do this well. Um, but we should never believe that we're entitled. If we if we skip those relationship-building steps, I believe that we ultimately uh, we leave money uh, on the table, so to speak. Yeah, I I, uh, I wasn't it wasn't a leading question. Just so you know, I don't I didn't know the answer. I just remember. The situation was I ended up only giving them what I what I originally said. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I said, maybe next time we meet, I'll, you know, I'll up it, you know. And so I said, right now, that's what I'm prepared to do. So I sure. um I it, you know. So anyway, good. Uh so what is the like I was thinking about this earlier. And, uh, and that was, so, you know, we all know executive directors at small nonprofits are super, super busy, right? Because they're often on operations, they're often in fundraising, they're, you know, personnel issues, there's all, all different types of stuff. Have you been in those situations where you see the executive director, you know, they're trying to, they want to make the change at the turn of the corner, but they're still really involved in the operation. And then you give them this list of 50, 100 people to call on and they're struggling with how are they going to actually get that work for fundraising <laughs> done. Sure. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. so what, what are the suggestions that you make to somebody like that? Well, you need to invest in, in hiring uh, the right staff to build and to manage, to lead your fundraising program, your development um, department, you, if you don't, if you don't make that investment, why would you expect to reap a harvest? We, we reap what we sow. You gotta, you gotta invest in that, uh, in that category and keep investing in the organizations that are uh, excelling in, you know, above all the, the rest in the major donor uh, fundraising category, they are increasingly investing and, and there's really no limits on how large their team can be. They're following best practices on caseload, uh, size and management and all those things. But, uh, you know, you, you can't, you can't do that for very long by yourself. One man, one man show, you need to bring somebody in and, uh, that's an investment. You, you need to look at it not as an expense, but as an investment. It's done right by the right person. It's going to yield a return. What's your experience with dealing with, uh, 
hiring somebody who doesn't have fundraising experience? Uh, not, not a good experience uh, mm-hmm. in many cases, but uh, some have some have worked out. When I first started in fundraising uh, 13 years ago, I had no experience. And uh, the, the others that I was working alongside, we were just starting the major donors, starting to build this platform to engage major donors. And none of us had prior fundraising experience. Uh, We did have some of those intrinsic qualities uh, that are necessary to be successful. I I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's important that a a person uh, necessarily have fundraising experience, but they do need to have, I would be far more concerned about those intrinsic qualities. And, and some of those are, you know, it's people skills, it's emotional intelligence, it's a uh, courage, um, I, I don't have a word for it, but I, I think a, a quality we always looked for when we were hiring new uh, fundraising staff was, are people happy to see them coming? When, when that person's name shows up on caller ID, <laughs> what, what kind of emotional response does that trigger? Yeah. Your donors need to be happy to see you coming. So if you're, you're hiring, you need, to, you need to feel that way about the person who's across the table from you. Um, I think there has to be a, a strong willingness to uh, learn. Um, if they're new in the space, there's, you know, I've developed uh, over the years a tremendous respect for people who are in the fundraising uh, profession. It's both art and science, and they need to be committed uh, to that learning process. Um, you know, I, I would not, I, I would steer leaders away who are just enchanted by a prospect who, uh, you know, a, a staff prospect who used to work at uh, some bank or, you know, they've, they've been around wealthy people. Uh, they used to work for a financial advisor that I, you know, I, I've seen too many leaders just come up very disappointed. They hired somebody that they thought was going to be great because they had had proximity and uh, you know, to that audience in prior life. And that really, it means nothing. It means nothing if those other uh, intangibles aren't there. And, you know, conversely, you can hire someone who has tremendous fundraising experience, um, but, you know, l- lines of ethics say they're not supposed to bring donors with them from one organization to another. They may have some relationships that are uh, genuine, they're deep, they're faithful. They want to know what... Uh, you're doing now in this this new role. I want to hear about the organization you're now serving. But uh, you know, I, I've seen I've seen established fundraisers make a move and it be unsuccessful uh, because they just you know their their roots were so deep in one place and it just didn't translate to this this other uh, organization. So it's it's undoubtedly hard. It uh, I once heard a leaders a president of a university say that in his experience and he had a lot of experience he'd been in the game for 50 years he said um, my experience is that uh, everybody thinks they can do fundraising but actually five percent only can do it well yeah that's that's probably about right it's a daunting thing to hire for yeah it's funny you should say that because i kind of think that's what I kind of think. I always thought I could be good at fundraising. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if that comes to fruition. 
Um, so uh, my background, you know, prior to my companies, uh, over the uh, prior to the 25 years that I've had my own companies was, uh, it was in sales. So you know, I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years. So, you know, I, I was one of their top sales reps. So I always thought that would translate well into fundraising, but, and I generally care about people. So going that route about developing relationships and just learning about people, I, it comes natural to me. So we'll find out if I'm right or not, I'm not, I'm, you know, uh, hopefully I am because then I'll help these two organizations I, I work with. Um, going back to your company, Westfall Gold, we, we did talk about, you know, how you can help them, the uh, n- nonprofits, you know, narrow down the list of who they should be calling. Tell, tell me what else you guys do. Yeah, so we serve nonprofit clients by creating experiences, uh, weekend-long experiences typically that engage high-net-worth families and ultra-high-net-worth families with the mission and vision of the organization. This would be a a three-night gathering typically at a a resort somewhere uh, here in the U.S. It could be abroad as well, and we're hosting... 40 to 70 couples typically over those three days and taking them on a a journey that engages them with the leadership, the vision, the story, the mission, uh, the goals of the organization, and then ultimately inviting them to uh, become partners. And the the weekend culminates with that uh, invitation. And on Saturday night, we announce results and it's uh, usually a great celebration and it is it's an incubator for uh, building relationship for inspiring trust and it it uh, accomplishes in three and a half days what typically takes a year and a half uh, to happen meaning it's it's commonly understood in the fundraising uh, profession that it takes 18 months to move a person from hi my name is dan to their first major gift 18 months and we're able to compress that into a three and a half day window, which is just, uh, that's incredible. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, my experience, uh, my introduction to Westfall Gold, it started as a client. It was uh, nine years ago when I was uh, working as vice president, partner development at Convoy of Hope. And we were wanting to engage. We were trying to figure out how to engage major donors in a, in a way that was incredibly effective. And we had really just stumbled around in that space. We, um, you know, we trial and error, we hadn't done anything worth repeating and we were introduced to the Westfall gold model. And, uh, frankly, at first it was intimidating. It it pushed us outside of comfort zone, what we were going to have to invest financially. And we, we cut corners, we pushed back hard and said, you know, we're, We're not comfortable with everything you're asking us to do. Um, We're comfortable with this. And if you're willing to bend, we'll we'll hire you. And uh, they were gracious and said, look, we're not going to say we told you so, but these are our concerns. And so we went in and we hosted an event where we spent about $150,000 hosting about 40 couples. And we raised about $450,000, which might sound like, hey, that's three to one ROI, but uh, honestly, Stephen, we kind of felt like big whoop because uh, we we needed a greater harvest. We were at a point, the organization, where 
we were dreaming of raising millions of dollars because that was what it was going to take to bring the vision to life. And so it led us to a gut check moment with our, our board and our leadership. We said, all right, if we're going to do this again, we, we need to do it the Westfall way. And so we committed to follow their playbook. And a year later, we hosted our first event. Uh, we invested about $600,000 to host that event. And we raised $2.9 million uh, just over a weekend with 38 couples, most of them who were brand new, uh, had never responded to an invitation that we had sent out before. And uh, of course, after that, uh, the only question from our board and leadership was, when's the next event? And so thus began a, a relationship um, with Westfall Gold. And I was deeply involved in the, the leadership of, of those events, working with a team and became so, success, so successful for us, leveraging the power of gathering. Um, you know, so many benefits. And uh, we ended up doing multiple events a year with Westfall Gold. And over an eight, nine year period, we did dozens of events. Uh, last year raised... Uh, 40 some million at events with Westfall Gold. And uh, I, I was extended an opportunity to, I was approached by the, the founder of the company, uh, wanted to start taking steps towards retirement, asked if I'd consider becoming his successor. And uh, that was not an easy decision because things at uh, Convoy of Hope were and continue to be just incredibly, uh, you know, everything's up and to the right. Uh, but I had an opportunity now to, I, I had had a front row seat to see how the Westfall Gold model, when leveraged effectively, could change the trajectory of an organization. And the opportunity to take that and serve uh, dozens of organizations, that was very exciting to me. And Convoy of Hope continues to be one of those that we serve. So I've not left Convoy behind. I just get to uh, serve Convoy and many others now. And, you know, I would, if I went back to the early days of when we were building the major donor uh, platform and, and team at uh, Convoy, I would have gotten to an event concept as quickly as possible based on what I know now. And really that's, that's how Westfall Gold started. Uh, our founder, Bob Westfall, 20 years ago, he was uh, the chief development officer at a, a nonprofit that had a, a small staff. And the president had come and said, uh, Bob, I need you to raise this much money in a uh, relatively short time period. And he said, and unfortunately, my calendar is, is packed. So I don't have uh, the time to do a six month road tour uh, with you and, uh, you know, go do all these donor visits. So you're going to have to find a way to raise this money in this timeline without putting me on the road for the next six months. Hmm. And so Bob came back and said, well, if we can't go to the people, how about we bring the people to us and pitched uh, the idea for a, a gathering that, uh, you know, would be a, a very, uh, very uh, simple version of, of what we do today. But uh, it it solved for the dilemma that I think a lot of smaller nonprofits uh, feel and are facing. And it's, you know, what you talked about earlier, you have a limited staff and you have a list of people that you need to engage, well, you can jump on a plane and spend a lot of nights away trying to do all those house visits, or you can bring all of those people to you in one place where you can put your best presentation, your best voices, put your best foot forward in front of that uh, crowd. And, 
you know, we've seen, uh, we've served now hundreds of organizations over the last 20 years, and we've seen this be successful. Uh, five to one ROI on average over the last 10 years. Last year, you know, I mentioned we saw record giving. We saw nine to one ROI uh, across our clients last year alone. And the, the giving, you know, you asked earlier, what, what percentage comes back when you do a, an audit of a file? What percentage comes back as being uh, major donors? I can't answer that, but what I can tell you is when we do these screenings, when we do these audits of donor files, we find out that across the board, the average is 8% that uh, these organizations we're serving, they are only engaging 8% of their uh, major donors that have the capacity to actually be major donors. Yeah. That means there's 92%. Yeah, yeah, that haven't uh, been touched. Yeah. Growth opportunity. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Let me, um, let me, I want to ask you uh, this. Th- th- we're running short on time, but I want to ask you this last question because it was on my mind. When Convoy of Hope did the $600,000 investment with Westfall Gold, do you remember yeah. what the revenue of of uh, Convoy of Hope was at the time? The yearly revenue? Yeah, it was. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but we were we were somewhere north of ten million at the 10 time. Ten million. So yeah. So so then so the the six hundred and this is why I'm asking this question: the six hundred thousand dollar investment that you made, did you had that in? cash on hand for the nonprofit? Did you have to go to a donor and say, listen, this is what we're thinking of doing. We need, you know, this amount of money so that we can raise this amount of money. And then we'll, you know, I wouldn't say we'll pay you back, but sure. you know, I, you know, like I'm talking big numbers here to a lot of our listeners. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the concerns of some of our smaller nonprofits that are, you know, a million, two million, three million in size, they're like, you know, it's all makes a lot of sense. You know, if I invest a dollar today, I'll get three, four, five dollars back and then I can pay back the dollar. Sure. Right. So, sure. what, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know where I'm going on this. What would what, your yeah. advice be? So typically our... Uh, we are working with organizations at the low end that would be in the uh, 5 million annual mm-hmm. revenue will sometimes mm-hmm. go a little bit lower. And, you know, we, there's a story I could, I could tell you from uh, just a few years ago, I had a, an organization that approached us and they were I mean, like brand new. They had 70 donors in their file and they wanted to do an event with us. And we were, you know, we have no interest in serving anyone that we don't believe can be successful. So we, we are prepared and we do say no at times. And, you know, we told them, no, we're, you're just not ready. We'd be happy to serve you when you are ready. We'd be happy to help you get ready, but you're not ready yet. And they were just insistent that, look, uh, between our the founder and the board, we can fill the room with the right people. Um, we want to do an event. Just give us an event. And so we did it. And sure enough, they hosted 55 couples and they raised $3.8 million wow. for an organization that had 70 donors, you know? Wow. Um, so there, there are no hard lines. It, we were typically looking at organizations of a certain uh, scale because just based on their donor file, we believe we'll be able to fill the room. But if you have a board, you have leadership, you have 
uh, you know, key partners that are well networked and can lend themselves to help uh, build the invitation list, then, you know, there's no rules. It just comes down to filling the room with the right people. But, you know, the way that we would advise uh, smaller nonprofits is to seek out a lead gift. And that would be something that, uh, you know, before the event even happens, you've got a you got a key donor or a couple of key donors that you're going to invite to attend. They, they might even be involved in the program in some small way. And you're going to approach them. Here's the big idea. This is the this is the return on investment. Uh, I mean, donors love the language of ROI. And we need, uh, you know, we, we'd like to have a, a lead gift here and that might be 500,000, it might be a million dollar lead gift. And you're gonna leverage that perhaps as a matching gift challenge or something like that. But that offers assurance to the organization's leadership that even if even if everything falls flat and, and it's not gonna, but even if everything falls flat, this is how we're going to pay for it. The lead gift is going to cover, you know, at least a, a big chunk of the costs. That's a way that a lot of a lot of organizations will uh, get around that hurdle of how do we how do we pay for this in the first place? The return, yeah, we can believe that, but how do we pay for it to begin with? It's through a lead gift. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a uh, really great podcast. Uh, we've actually went way over the time that I usually allocate only because I thought the topic was so interesting and very valuable to our listeners and to me. So I'd like to thank so very much Dan Clark from Westfall Gold, that's W-E-S-T-F-A-L-L Gold, for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please give us a review as long as it's five stars. Uh, it really helps us get the word out. The, the Nonprofit MBA podcast is in the top 1% of all podcasts for nonprofits, uh, which is something I'm really proud of. Um, and But it really helps us get the word out. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862 207-4118 or visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com where you can get a, a free quote to see if you qualify and also for how much. Uh, Dan, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Visit our website at westfallgold.com. You already provided the spelling, so thank you for that. Yep. And, you know, I always end every podcast the exact same way. I want to thank our listeners for doing all the heavy lifting, for making the world a better place. Um, I know Dan and I are trying to do our best to help. Uh, but, you know, and, and what I mean by that personally, I'm sure we're both uh, involved in our own organizations and trying to make the world a better place. But you guys, our listeners out there every single day on the front lines, making the world a better place. And I thank you for that. I also want to remind you, though, that you need to, take time for yourself, that you're not of any value to anybody. If you are not taking good care of yourself, you're not good to your organization, not good to your families. So make sure you take a step back and you take good care of yourself. Other than that, I want to wish you uh, have, to have a great day. Uh, this is a really good podcast. I really thank Dan for coming on and we'll see you on the next Nonprofit MBA podcast.